Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. And welcome to this week's Maternity Midwifery Hour. Um, this is, I have to say, the sixth episode of the seventh series of Maternity Hour. My name is Sue MacDonald and it's my delight to be chairing this evening's session, which is a little bit different. We've got a, a little mixture of things which will keep everybody interested, as we always do. Um, and I'm joined, I'm, I'm joined by our, our student midwife, Zara Seed and Deb Murray and we've also got a sample for those of you who couldn't get to the personalised maternity care conference today we've got a little sample of that as well so you've got a little bit of everything but of course we always start by putting our guests on the spot for a moment of the week to share with us and I'll start with Deborah. Um, my moment of the week, so I live out in the country, so I'm sort of setting the scene for you there was, um, I went for a little walk after work and I saw a little baby crow, I'm not entirely sure what they're called, um, but it just sort of hopped along, it actually walked along with me for a wee while, which I thought was really unusual, uh, and that's my moment of the week, it was quite, it was quite sweet, although they're quite, um, yeah, it wasn't like, it was, it was kind of they're quite ugly <laughs> I was trying to find another word to say <laughs> but yeah it was a nice experience but yeah it's, it needs to uh, sort of grow its feathers a little bit yeah <laughs> well Deborah I'm sure that baby crow is very beautiful to its parents <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and they are quite they're quite large creatures aren't they but it's lovely to see a bit yeah. of spring on its own and it was so it was just a nice little moment if if you're into I'm quite into like all of my birds and nature and stuff like that so it was an unusual moment and also quite comical really as it was walking on <laughs> side to me fantastic thank you Deb for sharing that okay Zara have you got a moment of the week you can share with us too I mean I, I think I sound a little bit sad because it's a little bit midwifery related but it was my first week back on labour ward after seven months of being on placement and I managed to see a true knot in the cord for the Ooh. first time baby was fine but yeah there's a full knot in the cord wow. which I thought was uh, a rare find and I was quite surprised yeah so that's so in your reflect mind. your your clinical book now. Yes, it is definitely mm. <laughs> because it it happens like one in sort of is it a thousand? It's a very it's a, like ten thousand yeah. or something. So it's a very rare find. But yeah, yeah, I got to see that in placements when I was back. Fantastic! Thank that's you. kind of like a good omen, isn't it? Yeah, that's apparently. Day <laughs> back. Yeah. So. Here we are. Maybe it's a good start. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, thank you for sharing your moments of the week. That's really lovely. Very different, but lovely. Thank you so <laughs> <Sorry>. much. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to do the the um thing just to, to explain to people where the maternity and midwifery hour came from. And this is for the people who haven't perhaps been with us as long. But we started at the start of the pandemic, the first lockdown in March. 2020 and I have to think quite hard for that because I can't believe we're now in our third year and it's still around um, and it was a way of connecting midwives student midwives people who wanted to be midwives mums 
people who worked in maternity care as well, just as a way of getting a nice chunk of information in quite an accessible way and a way of getting your CPD, your continuing professional development as you go. And we're supported by Mapflix, which is where you can get everything. It's a fantastic resource. So if you haven't tried to have a look at anything there, go along to Mapflix and have a look. I suspect Deborah might talk a bit about that later, but it's a really good place to go if you're doing an essay, an assignment, if you're doing a dissertation, if you're doing some work for your revalidation. So I know that's where I'll be going a bit later in the year for mine next year. Um, And it's all free unless if you have the the, um, kind of little uh, box set, there is a charge for that and you can get a subscription, but it's very, very reasonable um, to do that if you want to. And you're very welcome to share so if you find a nice presentation and you want to share it with your colleagues and have a discussion about it in one of your spare moments please do because we like you to share it's very good to share and it helps you learn and develop like this that now that what's going through my mind now is Zara's true not and I'm going to have to go and look up about that because I haven't seen one for a while myself so thank you for that Zara again And I want to say a big thank you, as I know I always do, but I think it's important because especially at the moment, the NHS is in the news. A&E departments are in the news. They're terribly busy. People are really pressured and it's a difficult time. And I just want to say a big thank you to all of those people in the NHS who are working their socks off to make sure care is provided to people and especially to the maternity services, because I know even through the COVID pandemic, the, the, the the busiest times midwives really worked hard to make sure that service was retained for mums and babies and they did their best and did some very creative things some of which we shared on the on the maternity hour so big respect all the way around to our NHS colleagues and a thank you to those of you who are covering sick leave and absence and mm, might be some holidays coming up because it's June now so Maybe there's some going to be some time for people just to kind of recharge their batteries. Whatever you're doing, do look after yourselves though, and do try and ch- charge your batteries yourself. And I'm not talking about the little ones you put in your gadgets. I'm talking about your internal batteries. We need to look after ourselves and each other at this time. Okay, I'm moving on swiftly to the news. We've, of course, we had the big four day celebration for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee which was really lovely I certainly enjoyed one of my highlights would have been the Paddington marmalade sandwich and the Queen and I thought that was lovely really lovely lovely touch and of course last week we also had the um, birthday the Queen's birthday honours and I want to say big congratulations to everyone who got honours in in that um, pronouncement And a thank you for all you do, because it takes a lot to be able to be put forward for an award. If you want to know how to do it for chums and everything, all the information is on our Maternity and Midwifery Forum Spotlight. And you'll you'll find out a bit more about the people who got the awards. It's a very special awards this year, uh, reflected particularly sustained public service, environmental and sustainability concerns and youth engagement. And there were a number of midwives, which is fantastic. And also some nurses who we work quite very closely with. And we have Ruth May, Chief Nursing Officer for England, who many of you will have seen on the TV at at some of these medical briefings, who was made a Dame Commander. So congratulations to Ruth May. 
And then we had commander of the British Empire, which is the CBE, Jill Walton, the chief executive of the uh, Royal College of Midwives, known to many of you who are watching. And the order of the British Empire, the OBE, went to um, Mary, Mary Renfrew, a professor at uh, University of Dundee, and she's well known for research and especially the Lancet Midwifery series. If you haven't read it, you need to read it, by the way. And the NMC Future Midwife and Midwifery Proficiencies. So she's had a huge effect on midwifery. So this is a well-deserved, well-deserved award. And then we had Heidi Tom Thomas McGann, who you may know the name. Uh, she's a screenwriter and playwright for services to drama. And she was the she is the creator and screenwriter for the Call the Midwife series. So you'll know her from there. Then we have um, Doreen Watkins or Dottie Watkins. Congratulations to you. I don't know if you're watching Dottie, but she's head of quality and governance at Rotherham. And she had an OBE as well. And then we had um, two people that we know who had the member of the British Empire, MBE. And that's Diane Buggy, who's a community midwife in Newcastle uh, for her work with refugee women. So well done, Diane. And Dr. Claire Harmer, who's chief executive of SANS. She also had her MBE, so well done to Clea. And then we have two people um, who achieved the British Empire Medal, BEM, all these letters. And one of them is Rukea Kanamia, Deputy Associate Director of Nursing and Senior Midwife at Bradford, um, and Anne Trotter, Assistant Director of Education Standards at the NMC. So you'll know these names very well. So congratulations and well done for all that you, you do to deserve this. Um, and if you want to get more information about these um, awards, just have a look at the Maternity and Midwifery Forum Spotlight uh, that's been drawn up by Den Dr. Den Jenny Hall. And also I know Deb has had a hand in that also. So thank you for that. Um, and I'm not going to go, I know I talked last week about the, the, the crisis at the moment and, and the, um, the difficulty with all the money, basically, and uh, cost of living, which seems to be going up and up. And anyone who's going to a petrol station will see the prices going up. And of course, that impacts everything in our lives. So again, look out for people who are, are in trouble and see if you can help them. And if you're one of those in trouble, you know, find find some some means of getting help and don't feel embarrassed if you need to go to a food bank. As I understand there's quite a few trusts who are opening food banks in their locality for their staff to help them along. So you need to get the help if you need it and look out, look out for each other. OK, whew, I feel as I've galloped through that, but we're going to mm -hmm. uh, because we're starting off, you're going to have a little tempting section from the personalized maternity care conference that was held today so this is a little extra that you're going to get and this is um going to be from uh, claire parker it's a really nice presentation so i know you're going to enjoy it says and stay tuned because after uh, claire we'll have zara and deborah also joining us and some time for questions for those of you who want to send in some questions usual business so this should be the queue for Claire Parker now. Good afternoon, everybody. My name's Claire Parker. I'm a senior lecturer in midwifery at Anglia Ruskin University. And it's an absolute honor to be invited to talk to you today on um, devising personalized care plans 
It looks like an absolutely fantastic day. And I'm really sorry that I can't be with you in person. I'm actually going to be teaching on the day of the conference. But I'd like to share some case studies with you today, which might give you some examples of how I'll use my experience in my previous post as consultant midwife to devise personalised care plans for women with particular needs and preferences. So with some background, um, some a few weeks back, I took on the role of senior lecturer. And prior to that, I was a consultant midwife at a large teaching hospital in the east of England. And in those years working as consultant midwife, I supported hundreds of women to formulate birth plans. Um, prior to that, I was a matron and the ward manager as well. And um, I suppose as such, that's made me extremely passionate about the promotion and support of women's choice, the protection of women's reproductive rights and the provision of respectful maternity care. So I'd like to start with Sarah's story. Sarah is a lady who presented herself to me at 16 weeks. She's self-referred actually um, to me at Birth Choices Clinic at 16 weeks, having previously been through Birth Choices Clinic in a previous pregnancy. And she was a low-risk booking, so she had no comorbidities whatsoever. She was between 30 and 40 years of age. And um, as such, she was under midwife-led care with her community team, which were actually out of area across the border. She did, however, have a mental health history of obsessive compulsive disorder that was quite severe, actually, and um, moderate anxiety. She was also being seen by the Wellbeing um, Clinic, which is our obstetrician who specialises in mental health um, uh, conditions in pregnancy and providing additional support in that respect. And she, in addition to this, she had a needle phobia and she had a fear of pain as well that I wouldn't say was tocophobia, but obviously very much affected how she was viewing this upcoming um, labour and birth experience. The fear of pain affected her in the sense that she was very reluctant to go to the dentist and undertake smear tests, for example. Regarding her obstetric history, she had a baby previously some years back. She'd had a um, spontaneous vertex delivery following an input from consultant midwife, my predecessor, uh, who made a plan for Sarah to have an early epidural and able to help her cope with the pain of labour. She was very keen for a repeat of the above experience that she'd had, <clears throat> excuse me, with her first child. Um, she found it such a positive, such an empowering experience. She was looking forward to hopefully having exactly the same again this time around with this pregnancy. So throughout the course of the discussions, um, and we had several discussions, so most of the time in Birth Choices Clinic, I would speak to people on one occasion. On this occasion with Sarah, actually, we had very regular um, consultations scheduled. And in keeping with her OCD, they, they had to be on a particular day of the week in a particular time. And during, <clears throat> excuse me, during these consultations, Sarah was able to share with me her preferences, her fears, address any concerns she had. And I was able to then share my opinions about her preferences, offer some clinical advice based on my experience and knowing the services that we had to offer at the trust that she was booked with, with ourselves. So of the preferences, the most important one for Sarah is that she wanted to avoid surgical birth. She was adamant that she didn't want to have a cesarean. She didn't want to have that extended length of stay that comes from cesarean birth. She ideally wanted an early discharge home. My thinking on this was that actually she was very well suited to a cesarean section in the sense that as those of you who've supported birth choices clinics in the past will appreciate that many women who have an element of OCD or anxiety in their pregnancy are very well suited to elective cesarean section because these women are looking for the most predictable birth outcome. Um, unfortunately, on this occasion, she, she was not keen on that idea at all. She wanted to avoid cesarean section. And of course, she had no clinical indication for a cesarean section either. 
in light of her previous birth, which actually happened to be a very rapid labour and birth that she had previously, I suggested that she consider a home birth. She also didn't want to have a home birth in the sense that she wanted to make use of all the services that we had on the obstetric unit, such as the anaesthetist, and have that early epidural that she'd mentioned to me. Regarding the pain, it's always very difficult to promise people that they're going to have an epidural, and I certainly would never do that with anybody, would never guarantee that they weren't going to feel any pain, but we were hopefully going to put a plan in place for her that would enable her to feel as little pain as possible and to have that ep um, early epidural as soon as she was able to. She also had a particular preference for the senior, the most senior anaesthetist to be with her. And I think that's regarding her needle phobia, obviously. She wanted to make sure that there was only one attempt at IV access that was sought um, and to have that senior anaesthetist that was present who would ensure that her epidural was as effective as possible. Obviously, my concern on that front is that anaesthetist's presence can be very unpredictable. We tend to have two anaesthetists present at any one time at that trust. And um, you can never predict, obviously, that they're going to be available as and when you need them. And I did make this very clear to Sarah, who, of course, understood that this was a, um, a grave concern of hers throughout the pregnancy. She was also very confident and very keen to avoid an assisted birth. She was, again, coupled with her fear of pain and the extended length of stay that she was hoping to avoid. She was very keen to avoid birth assisted by four steps or one twos. And of course, in the background, I knew that even by a small degree, I have that knowledge that an epidural anesthesia can, of course, slightly increase the chance of assisted birth. However, I was confident that that wouldn't be the case with Sarah, um, having had a vaginal birth previously. She also had a particular, <clears throat> excuse me, a particular preference for a side room. And this was related to her OCD and the fact that when she was becoming panicky, when her OCD was, was flaring up, she didn't want that to be visible to anybody else. So she was absolutely adamant that she wanted to have a side room throughout the experience. And of course, we're, we're talking about a context in which we were dealing with COVID cases at the time. And at that trust, we didn't have any private rooms that could be booked in advance. So again, it was very difficult for me to be able to promise a side room for Sarah. So Sarah's plan, it evolved over time, as I've said, we had um, several consultations throughout the pregnancy and it was a relationship that, we, that was built on trust. Sarah trusted me to listen to her fears and concerns, to take her very seriously. Um, and I was able to then share my concerns with her and offer her all the possible solutions um, that we could formulate that might address her particular preferences. Throughout our many consultations, Sarah had many what-ifs that um, would come up very regularly, such as what if the anaesthetist isn't available? What if I can't cite IV access on the first attempt? She didn't think she'd be able to cope with the second attempt at IV access. And over time, we did reach a final decision by around 32 weeks of pregnancy. And that was that um, she was going to be booked in for an induction of labour, thereby taking away that unpredictability in the sense that she would know when she would be presenting at hospital. She also was going to be invited into the obstetric unit where she would then get that um, side room and therefore she wouldn't have to have her induction of labour on the antenatal ward where she would be sharing a bay. She would actually be having the induction of labour in her own room on the obstetric unit where the anaesthetists were going to be and hopefully have that early discharge from that same room. Of course, there was that plan for the early epidural. 
and that early discharge home. Throughout the process, I was very keen to maintain that we took a very multidisciplinary team approach, um, obviously with Sarah being a low risk booking and wanting to request interventions, I was then very keen to involve the obstetrician and anaesthetist wherever possible. And I think it's interesting how when we talk about women who request care outside of guidance, we often think about women who have um, several risk factors who request midwife led care, often in midwife led settings. But of course, we have many women also that request care outside of guidance in the sense that they have no clinical risk factors, but they still would like to request interventions that may pose additional risks to themselves or the baby. So in this circumstance, I was very keen to involve the full team wherever possible. So we involved the obstetrician. And as I mentioned at the beginning, Sarah was already under the wellbeing clinic where she was being supported regarding her anxiety and her OCD. And that consultant obstetrician was very supportive of Sarah and her preference to have an induction of labour and agreed that that induction of labour could be booked and also agreed for that induction of labour to be booked early and it was eventually booked in the 37th week of pregnancy. The consultant anaesthetist, um, I approached the, her to actually speak with Sarah over the telephone on um, two or three occasions to address Sarah's concerns, most of which did involve the access to an epidural and a senior anaesthetist and discussing IV access and use of um, tools such as using Emla cream prior to arriving on the hospital. Um, and she was able to, the anaesthetist herself was able to inform the rest of the team so that in advance of that day, the full team would be aware of Sarah's preferences so that when they cared for Sarah, they were very familiar with her case and Sarah was very keen. She didn't want to have to repeat her preferences and her background to everybody. I also involved the induction of labour coordinator midwife. We were very fortunate. We had a fantastic induction of labour coordinator midwife role. Um, this midwife would arrange Zoom classes for people that couldn't access the hospital due to COVID restrictions. And um, this midwife actually spoke with Sarah on several occasions and was really able to speak to Sarah in a very detailed way about what the induction of labour would involve. And also I was very conscious, as was the induction of labour coordinator midwife, to emphasise to Sarah that we may not be able to invite her in on that particular day, obviously with capacity being very high at the time with inductions of labour. I wanted Sarah to be aware that actually she may be delayed by a day or two because obviously she had no clinical indication for that induction of labour and she was completely understanding of that. And also the clinical lead midwives on the obstetric unit, so the, the coordinators of each shift on the obstetric unit, near the induction of labour date, I spoke to all of them and sent all Sarah's details across to them. So again, um, similar to the anaesthetic team, when Sarah would present on the day that they would be fully briefed on Sarah's background and her fears and preferences and would be better aware of how to support Sarah on the day. So Ellie's birth. Her induction of labour was actually delayed by one day. Um, again, that was because of acuity on the day that she was due to come in. She was fully briefed on that beforehand. It wasn't a surprise to her. Of course, it wasn't her preference, but she was invited in the following day. And her induction of labour did commence on delivery unit in her own room. Uh, IV access was cited by a senior anaesthetist who knew about Sarah's case ahead of the day. And actually on that day, I was the maternity bleep holder and I was present on the obstetric unit myself. And I was in the room holding Sarah's hand while she had that um, IV access cited. And I think actually she laughed her way through the whole process. It was, um, it was certainly wasn't as bad as she feared. 
The epidural was cited prior to us breaking her waters, so prior to that ARM and certainly before the onset of regular contractions itself. And Sarah went on to give birth in the night and had a non-assisted vaginal birth. And again, I was present on the obstetric unit when she birthed her baby. As, as manager of the day that day, I had been called back into work overnight and was delighted to be around to support the midwives that were caring for Sarah during the night. She did have an extended postnatal stay of four days. And I know that she was hoping to get home that same day. But as we'd explained to her, one of the risks of the induction of labour being so early in the 37th week is that the risk of complications with the baby postnatally, such as the increased risk of jaundice and feeding support. Luckily for Sarah, she did have access to a side room on the postnatal ward, which she made use of and was delighted about. Sarah gave the whole team feedback and um, she said, thank you for making sure my birth plan was perfect. You made me feel safe, understood and cared for. Your support enabled me to have a positive birth experience. I just want to very briefly give you um, a second case study, which is a lady called Carly, who had a very, very similar background, although ended up with a slightly different plan. Her history was similar in the sense that she'd had a previous vaginal birth that on paper looked very straightforward to us as clinicians. However, to Carly, it was a particularly traumatic birth and she'd waited several years before considering becoming pregnant again. Um, again, we had input from the full MDT and also we had a maternal emotional wellbeing midwife support Carly as she also had a background of anxiety and this secondary tocophobia that she was trying to manage as well. And Carly, we actually had a plan for a booked induction of labour and caesarean section because throughout our consultations, Carly couldn't decide whether she would take the risk of going into labour before an induction of labour or whether she'd have an effective epidural. So actually opted to have both an induction of labour and the caesarean section booked. And in the end, three days before her um, booked caesarean section, we met face to face on site at the hospital. And she said to me that she wanted to cancel her induction of labour and go straight for the surgical birth option which she had been hoping to avoid but felt it was the right choice for her and I just think her feedback is absolutely fantastic. I've been able to bond with my daughter instantly something that took a backseat to trauma and recovery last time and I'll never stop being grateful for that. The experience has been so different this time and I owe it all to the team for supporting and informing my choice. So I'm very conscious that I'm probably reaching my limit of 15 minutes now, but I hope it's been useful to share some case studies with you today for people that are requesting care outside of guidance and people that are requesting interventions that are non-clinically indicated based on their personal um, preferences and choice. I'd just like to end by highlighting some of the MDT team working process um, that was so crucial to making both these women's plans come to fruition. And that was, I believe, it keeping both Carly and Sarah at the heart of everything we did regarding decision-making and fully informing these women of their full range of options and letting them be the final decision-makers in their care. So obviously that began with myself as consultant midwife who Sarah contacted in the first instance. I then made um, got in contact with the obstetrician who was supporting her, the anaesthetist and the, her whole team were brought into the equation as well to take any queries that um, both women had and share information with their team. Also the introduction of the induction of labor coordinator into the process really supported um, Sarah, I know, the, the first case that I presented. 
And then, of course, the obstetric unit midwife leads. These are the midwives that are going to be coordinating the whole of the, the shift where these women are going to be presenting and having their care episodes. So they need to be fully briefed on the processes and the preferences involved um, and to have some background, because I'm sure many of you who've got experience in running birth choices clinics are aware that such women are really hesitant at repeating their story and their background to many practitioners as possible. So I believe we were so successful in giving some um, really personalised care to these women because we did work as a team very successfully in both cases. Thank you for your attention during these case studies. I'd love to take any questions or feedback that you have on these today um, or in the future. So if you want to, please do contact me at the email address below. And again, thank you very much for listening today. Have a great day. Well, that was really interesting. So interesting to see that how this can really work on an individual basis. I, I think like most midwives, I love a story because it makes the whole situation come alive and all the research and the kind of supportive policy documents really come come to life there so that was fantastic well done on Claire Parker now swiftly we move on to our next uh, speaker and I'm really delighted to introduce our inspirational student midwife and um, this is Zara Zaid, who is at Salford University. And as she's studying for as a student midwife, and she's in her third year, and those of you who are student midwives will know getting through the second year, because the second year is quite challenging, I would say, mostly for student midwives. Um, but she's also contributing to improving diversity inclusion in inclusion in midwifery. So has been involved in some work with that, which I, I'm hoping she's going to share with us. And she's going to share those perspectives from today's conference, I think, maybe, but she's only got 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and also raising some of the issues that are very pertinent to student midwives just now. So welcome, Zara. Thank you so much for coming. The screen is now yours. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I have just been invited to talk about sort of my own experience as a student midwife. I am classed as a senior student midwife because mm. I do fall into the category of uh, not a young student anymore as I am now 27. Um, but I also fall into the odd category of not having a baby yet. So there is quite a few mature students with um, quite a few babies and children, but I am not one of them yet. So I'm in a bit of a awkward little group myself, I think. Um, but yeah, so I am third year now uh, and have surpassed the horrible COVID years as a student midwife, especially in second year, as Sue has just mentioned. <laughs> um, it has been really, really hectic I'm not going to deny that it's been uh, a whirlwind but I think has prepared us for anything really um, I think it's shown us the resilience and strength that we actually have as people uh, not only just as midwives um, it's not been easy for us I don't think with anyone that has um, had to deal with COVID issues we've all been impacted differently and it has been such a blessing in disguise to have such a loving community and maternity and um where which hospital I'm working at and also with my cohort at university um so yeah as Sue mentioned I have been doing a lot of work externally with um diversity and ethnic minorities I'm hoping to try and create an impact in terms of the midwifery curriculum that we are currently being taught 
Um, mm-hmm. One of the main factors is that I feel like amid the curriculum lacks in trying to teach about how to approach different minorities and the, the care that we do provide, understanding cultures, understanding different needs, um, being able to identify sort of different illnesses and compared to skin tones and things like that. So I'm hoping to do a lot of work in that. I have also been working with external sort of midwives, um, called Asian uh, and Asian and South Asian midwives uh, group um, to hopefully do some leadership programs to help bring uh, diversity in the workplace as well. So looking forward to it, it's been really, really exciting. I recently did get um, nominated for a special VIP guest to the student nursing times. And I got to sit with um, the chief executive of NMC, Andrea Sutcliffe, which is such an honor. Um, just being recognised for the work that I have been doing. Uh, but it was so, such a beautiful, such a rewarding place to be, to see how much uh, work goes into nursing and maternity and how passionate and how selfless we are. I think it's the one thing that I absolutely love about this job role, about this degree. I know that you may, <laughs> as uh, thinking about going into student midwifery, uh, going into midwifery, you may think that it's a lot to handle and, the hours are really long and you know there is a lot of stress that comes with it but the beauty of bringing life into this world is just unmatchable and I just sort of constantly feel so privileged to be at the peak of such a intimate moment of people's lives and be able to bring that life into the world Um, so yeah I know it's been a difficult year and second year especially that is when you go through your shift um and you evolve from your first year brand new student to okay let's let's change just to an expert level um and being able to kind of crack down on dealing with any sort of complex cases um but honestly so so worth it um I'm hoping to also go to Uganda uh, to do my final elective which luckily enough I have been able to um be funded through my university so if you are looking to go into um studying midwifery please make sure you uh try and find out if there's any um abroad placements that you can also apply for uh Uganda was one of the places that I had I had um the honor of of being a part of a lecture where one of the students is doing her master's here and she really really went into detail about how lovely um the care that you provide is so important it doesn't matter about the environment that you're in if you're passionate and you care and you love what you do then take opportunity wherever you are um and that's what's made me come into midwifery and love it even more because that's what I love to do I just love to look after women and try and create a positive impact anywhere that I can um but yeah it is definitely definitely a very demanding job role a very demanding course so it's very very important to look after yourself um, I know it's easier said than done but self-care and reflection and any difficult times is really really important to be able to identify when may, maybe you need extra support may, when you maybe need some time out because it is such a demanding course um, but um, we are still human at the end of the day we're not robots we're not working to the bone um, so it's so so uh, important to please look after yourself and use the support you have so much support around you um we're always every single one of us are so happy to help you whatever you need so please reach out whilst you can 
Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit about me. So with, uh, that's, I mean, that's fabulous, Zara. I know, <laughs> I know I only gave you a short time to speak. I just wondered <laughs> if you had some, because I think your point about um, support and getting support from other people is really important. I think what came over just then is the fact it's not just from the seniors and your your supervising midwife or your educationist but it's other students that can support yeah, you so definitely. what are your tips for for gathering up the best sources of support I think when you have opportunity to really um, engage with those students you know, the moment that they walk through the door, get to know them, you know, they have a friendly face as well. They have been in your position before. So they understand completely what you're feeling, where you're at, whether you feel like you've not got the confidence to just really build relationships. And that aspect I think is so important. Um, we, every single cohort just has all friendly faces and we're not going to um, stigmatise you all off about the situations mm. that you're in with there to kind of give you a hug really because that's what you need you need the reassurance that you're not the only one going through these experiences so I do think really we've taken advantage of getting to know uh, other students on your cohort and in the other year groups just to have the extra support that you might need as mm. a student um because I think I think senior midwives and your um assessors and stuff forget that um that you're a student as well mm. not just there to learn because I think you need the support as a student with other students yeah. and definitely um join the midwifery society groups that they have you know you have the whatsapp groups and all the social media pages it's just so helpful just to basically have a sounding board and mm. have the reassurance that women together we're not alone um I would definitely say and I think that's, I mean, I think that's fabulous the way you're, you're kind of throwing out all the things that you're, you're telling people to get involved and actually look for things and look for supporting from it from each other. Even though um, my student days were a long time ago, I can remember teaching a junior student as a student mm -hmm. and feeling actually, as I was teaching, I was thinking, oh, I understand this now. <laughs> Which can be quite, I think, can be quite helpful, can't it? Because sometimes, and you don't have to be perfect, of course, as, whether as a midwife or a student, but having a go at teaching one of your colleagues. And, and sometimes you as a student might understand something better than one of your student colleagues, mm -hmm. and you might be able to kind of help them learn. So it's a, that's a really good, um, a good thing to get people going to each other to support 100%. yeah definitely I think that we learn from each other always and I think having those chances to teach each other also practice your own skills but also share different approaches different ideas I think I agree with you that you end up learning so many more new things when mm. you talk about um, certain particular issues for example like I learned different ways of taking blood when I was teaching the student and it was just like little things like that that you know will contribute you to sort of such a long-term effect so yeah definitely um just have those conversations and um don't be afraid to ask for help because that's what we are there for you know we have been there um and we're still there we're still learning so yeah, we nice. can learn together Oh, that's lovely. That is lovely. And I, th I mean, I think what's, what is nice, I know that a lot of midwives themselves are very keen to support students and very happy to teach. 
and sometimes they get a bit tired but they they're they're trying as well to support students yeah. and i think it's it's what comes over from your your kind of presentation is very much a working together and learning together which is is fantastic definitely yeah 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 it's because they're not expecting me to be perfect you know i remember the first year student absolutely terrified at the thought of trying to take someone's pulse or taking someone's respirations and i was like oh my gosh how am i supposed to do that <laughs> but it is about throwing yourself in there that's the one thing that you will absolutely love about yourself is learning the fact that although you may get nervous and you might not think you can do it but pushing yourself to throw yourself in the deep end and get yourself hands-on will be the best thing that you can do for yourself because it definitely helps my confidence uh, completely and knowing that it doesn't have to be perfect you are being supervised nothing's going to get stick, uh, stigmatized towards you you know you're still a student so don't worry about mm. making mistakes you're allowed to <laughs> learning um which I think we always forgot as students thinking oh the moment you're in, in practice you're gonna forget yeah. and they can you're gonna get in trouble or something you know something's mm. gonna go wrong but that's not your responsibility mm. you're there to learn to take as much opportunity that you can and build those amazing relationships because you've got to remember that's your environment you're spending majority of your life at work or at uni so you need to have a nice environment that can work for you that can work for you and that you can work with so it's definitely to try and not scare you but take it as each day and you'll be amazing I know <laughs> Fabulous. Zara, you you come out, you are an inspiration and you're very, you're so lovely and positive. And I could imagine if I'm a mum, to see you coming towards me and know you were looking after me, I'd be, I'd be highly thrilled because oh. I'd know I'd be okay and you'd be kind and gentle and, and lovely. I'm just wondering if there's there's is there any any sort of bad things at the moment for you? Or for your students, your fellow <laughs> students, because I know it's, yeah. it's, it is a hard time and you have to balance not having very much money and having oh, to yeah, work hard. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So staffing, obviously, has been like a nationwide yeah. thing, as you may, uh, you would, uh, many of you may know. Um, but so that has put a lot of pressure on the students, especially third years, because they kind of mm. practically treat us like qualified students, and obviously now getting paid for it as well. It does kind of get a bit demoralizing at times because you think, I, I'm here because I want to be, and it, it kind of does get take its toll. That's when you think, okay, let's take a moment back, reflect, let's see what what we need to prioritize, and then take and then go back into it. Um, so staffing definitely I think uh, the morale in the hospital sometimes has wow. been quite hard uh, because obviously everyone is really stressed following Covid and dealing with all the mm. um, um, aftermath of staffing and other stresses and things and staff changing uh, senior staffing as well so you're not able to kind of get to know many of the people that you're working with which is quite difficult um, but yeah <laughs> I mean part of being a midwife and a student midwife you don't really have much of a life anyway unfortunately <laughs> so money I'm not sure is, is there to even be spent because you kind of don't have time unless you're doing like an uber eats takeaway or something to try and get you through um but yeah it, it I mean it's you also need to know 
winter have fun don't please yeah. take care have those self-care days on the weekend go out with your friends and socialize and just switch off because that's also very very important and use that money that you kind of have and you don't oh. have but you could always bank <laughs> shift as well so that's what a lot of, a lot of students midwives do they'll bank shift as a healthcare assistant yeah and and it's actually really good pay um and it comes weekly so you know you've got a little something for the weekend so (laughs) we can always figure out money situations I'm sure parents will be happy to give some as well Well, so yeah yeah. (laughs) no I can I can remember my mum used to give me a little food box every now and then so I think I think families are such a big part of this aren't they and I love the way now you've you've done a Skinner sandwich. So you've given us lovely positive things, <laughs> a little bit of negative along the way, and then you finish positively. So that's wonderful. Sorry, oh, you've been you. lovely, and you are really an inspiration. And I think. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I would like anyone watching to just just absorb some of that lovely positivity and think about what Zara said about you know going out and having some time, having some fun because you can do it. And you, you know, you make the most of, of especially of the money and money is a problem for everyone at the moment, but you make a lot of what you can. So thank you very much for coming along. We're going to have, there, there might be a chance for questions. So if anyone has any questions, start putting them in now, but we're going to move now from Zara. We're going to let's have a little rest and we're going to move and um, now to Deborah and Deborah. Or Deb, I keep calling her Deb, is is one of the team from Maternity and Midwifery Forum. And she is, and you will see from her glamour as well, we have a very glamorous group tonight, <laughs> uh, a graduate of fashion and design. And she's with us to share about how some of you might wish to get involved in the student festival. And actually, you might get some tips for being involved with any of the festivals. And we very much welcome midwives, student midwives, maternity care support workers, doulas, whatever, being involved, not just coming along, though we love that, obviously, because we love love seeing you at the festivals. We also would love if you put papers in and you just engage with us a little bit more. But I'm not going to take Deb's words away. So, Deborah, the screen is now yours. Thank you very much, Sith, and I'm hoping that I can... um stay as positive um that was such a lovely presentation Sarah so I'm going to try and keep the positivity up with this next little bit um so the student midwife experience festival you may have heard of that before um it's on the 29th of June so we haven't got long um it is entirely online um and I'm just going to go through um the website actually um so you'll be able to access this from the I'm just going to click over and show you here um on our main website which is maternityandwifery.co.uk um, so if you go to events, you'll be able to click through to the Student Midwife Experience Festival, and this is where there's much more information on this event. And I'm going to try and keep it to just talking about this event, because I've been doing little Instagram stories and I jump from one to the other and it gets so confusing. So we're going to focus on this event. So if you are a student midwife, do listen up now, because this is how you can get lots more involved um, and hold your own live stream party. Um, so as I say, the Student Midwife Experience uh, ran there in November last year, so you may have heard of it before. Um, it's supported by the practice of midwife, the student midwife and the nursing and midwifery council. Um, and it's entirely online. 
Um, and last year we um, did live stream parties at quite a few of the universities, which I'm just going to come to in a little bit. Um, so you will see, so there's a little bit of information for you to read here. I'll go through, I'm going to go through the tabs. So this was some of the photos from last year. Um, what the photos don't show is that lots of people had little bake sales and some charities got involved with, with the events. Um, and we're there to support you to do that as well. Um, so you can see everyone did have a great time and as I see there are just a select few photos and um, you can see everyone is still wearing their masks there. Um, so yeah we have there's some feedback so there's 20 days to go um, I'm just going to quickly zoom back up to the top here without making everyone dizzy um, we do have an outline program at the moment which I'll quickly show you hopefully mention it's going fast enough. Um, so we've got Professor Mary Renfrew, who Sue mentioned just earlier, who got an honour, so amazing. Um, then we have uh, Dr Jackie Williams. Um, and as I say, over the next week or so, this will fill out um, much more. We've got Dr Anna Byram, who was speaking at the personalised care event this afternoon in London. Um, so quickly, you can just see the speakers here that we have. We've also got um, Nicole Rajan Brown, who um, I think possibly, so you might correct me if I'm wrong, hosted um, part of this event last November. Um, so the call for papers close on Friday the 10th. Um, and this page here just gives you lots more information about how you can submit your paper. Um, but it's not difficult at all. We want you to share your experiences, um, just like you have done there, Zara, um, and mm -hmm. spread all of that pos positive energy, as well as obviously talking about how your experience truly has been. Um, so there is uh, some themes that you can stick by, but you don't have to. Um, so we're asking for 500 words or you can do a two minute video um, and send it to myself. Um, my email is on here somewhere or I think. Oh, yeah. So submit here and um, which takes you through to a submission page on our website. Um, we also have a call for awards. I hope I'm not running over time because no, no, <laughs> I could stuck for those those are um to submit an award so we're looking for there's two categories so we've got the midwifery education trailblazer of the year um and a student midwife trailblazer of the year um so yeah anyone who has inspired you supported you um and shown great dedication um over the last year um are the people we want to hear about um and i think it's such a lovely thing to do as a friend even for yourself um to submit an award award on your own behalf as well you can submit an award for yourself <laughs> um which sounds funny but actually i do think you should you should you should uh yeah keep positive about that um so yeah two minute video or actually i said 500 words it's only 300 words here um and so i just wanted to quickly uh this is the last page um talk slightly just lastly on the um so so it's free to register um and then you can buy a certificate for 15 pounds plus vat um but the bit that i wanted to focus on um is the live stream party bit um so it's 145 pounds and that's something that your university should fund you for um 
and you can get in touch my emails here um, so what we do is we'll provide you or your midwifery society with an organizer's pack. So I've tried to bring together a few things here to sort of show you what's in it. So we've got lots of graphics that you can share on your social media. We've got a poster that you can print off. Um, I'm not sure if you can see my mice, but that you, we can insert your um, lecture hall there and then you can print that off and share it around your university. Um, we've also got a watch party toolkit with a big checklist and we've got a printable agenda as well as technical support um, all the way through the process. Um, and I just wanted to lastly share some of the universities that requested um, a toolkit last year. So if you do see... Oh, I'm zooming a bit too fast there. If you do see your university on there, um, get in touch with your head of the head of your midwifery society or your head of year actually might know um, how to uh, so who who organised it last year is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I think that's everything from me. I'm sure hopefully some people have some questions, um, but I think I've covered everything. Thank you. Yes. That's fantastic, Deb. Thank you very much. I mean, I think, do you, I mean, I'm assuming there might be some cake recipes in that pack. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. I could give you some of those. I have lots of cake recipes. And I, I couldn't find the pictures of the cake from last year. There was so many amazing Midwifery Society cakes. Um, so, yeah, we would want to see them again. Definitely. Yes. I, th I mean, I think, I think, um, this is this is a this is obviously a very um, normal process for midwives and student midwives. Wherever there's an event, there will be cake. <laughs> there will be cake, and just just for those of you watching and thinking about it, I mean, you can have a mini party. You could just have two or three of you. You don't have to have this big party. But if you wanted to have a nice big party with lots of you in the university, that would work very well. And you could have a little. A little make all make cakes and raise some money for some funds for your society I mean there's all sorts of ways of, of doing that yeah. um and and kind of making it an occasion I think that's what I'm trying to say because one of the things that's diff more difficult when you're doing an online event is to get that same feel that you get when you go to a big conference or study day yeah. but if you have an event at your university, maybe even two universities meet together. That can be very good. It makes it makes it much more of a sharing, and you get to interact with other people, and it it becomes an occasion. I think that's what I'm saying. Not very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely right. So I think it's great for it's definitely great to come together in person again. I know we're the mid middle of the year now, but. Um, every time I do meet people in person at the at the other festivals, I always think that it's so fantastic to be in the room again mm. um, and sharing those experiences in person because they do deliver slightly differently than than over Zoom. I personally feel. Yeah, yeah. Having said that, we can do very well on these. Uh, these. Yeah. It's going <laughs> to be. It was a really good event, <laughs> and I think people are going to really enjoy it. Now I'm, I'm saying, getting lots of positive comments, so. Lucy says, I'm getting, I'm looking over here mm -hmm. at my other screen to say, Lucy says, I agree. So positive, Sarah. And then Zoe says, feeling inspired. Thank you, Sarah. And then Leslie Page, Leslie Page is saying, love hearing 
these aspirations. Thank you. The lovely Leslie. Th a nice hello to Leslie Page, too. That's lovely. So we're not getting questions because I think people are just feeling lovely and, and inspired, which is fantastic. So thank you for both of you. I mean, it, the other thing is, please, I would say to anyone who's thinking about, you know, they, they, you've looked at that list of things that Deb put up about your experience, what you could share. Don't be shy. I mean, I, I shouldn't have to say that with student midwives, but don't be shy. If you're doing something interesting or there's a couple of you want to present something interesting or just your experience of, of surviving through COVID times, People are going to be interested because everyone's got a different perspective and you learn a little bit more and it, and enjoy a little bit more. So so don't feel shy. Do I have to say that, Zara? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. I agree. <laughs> you're gonna, are you going to be putting in a paper? I'm going to put you on the spot now. <laughs> am I, am I putting, on, putting in a paper? You have, it's only 500 words or a two-minute video. I've remembered, you see. Um, yeah, could do. Yeah, look forward to it. Yeah. Do you think worth crediting? That'd yeah, why not? Yay. <laughs> so now I've, I'm having these little things are coming through. I'm getting little screenshots now. Joe D'Agustin, hi, Joe, says a huge thank you to the whole MF team for running the Student Midwife Experience Festival. You're doing such a good job in supporting the student midwife population. Thank you. I think that's a, a, a cheer <laughs> all the way around. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. That's lovely. Thank you very much, Joe. Yeah. Okay, I'm just waiting to see if there's any other comments. I'm not sure if there's any other comments. So you've got a couple of minutes for anything you'd like to say now. Deborah um, or Sarah, anything cool. you've I missed just... out. Oh gosh, there's probably so much I've missed. <laughs> but um, I would say, yeah, don't be shy and, and don't underestimate um, how much of a great thing it is to um, submit paper and also so you said that they, they could present as two um, I'm sure if it was yeah. a group that they could yeah. as well um, yeah we would absolutely love to hear from you so I'm just sort of echoing what you're saying don't okay. don't be shy um, <laughs> yeah. and I was I didn't see that you had student electors down didn't you did I see that or didn't I what was that for the awards? Student electives, you know, where students get experience elsewhere. Um, I can't remember I if that was on the list. That's so. down, but it certainly can go um, yeah. in your portfolio. And you well, you've got that. something about global, so that, that might cover it. You see, there's oh, something yeah. for you, Zara. Yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, oh, that, and, and for those of you who are watching who are students who are thinking about doing your... Um, elective some people do go abroad like zara to, to uganda or you make can go anywhere in the world but actually just going to a different unit in a different part of the country can be really yeah. very helpful in mm -hmm. understanding things and just working with different people i don't know if any of your group have done that zara yeah a couple of students go to isle of man um oh. or like down to london or scotland you know even going to europe countries or work in switzerland obviously because they they're yeah. so different in the way that they um, approach maternity. So, yeah, they are a couple of students yeah. trying to go elsewhere, even go to, like, local uh, hospitals like St Mary's or um, within Shore just to get sort of a new... Just a different um, perspective. Yeah, with yeah. the new trust policies and things to see how they work and if we can implement it better yeah. in our local hospital, yeah. Oh, that's good. 
Oh, there's some ideas for everybody. <laughs> now I'm going to have finish off now. I've got two more. Oh, Karen says, what equipment do we need for a viewing party? This one's for you, Deb. Equipment. Um, you just All you really need is to book a lecture theatre um, at your university or if not a theatre, if it's a smaller group, just a room. Um, and it is, I think this one's from 12 till 4, so it's not the whole day. Um, so you don't need to book out room for the whole day, which is a which is a huge plus as well. Yeah. Um, but that's all you need really. So someone um perhaps who's sort of technically minded, but we can definitely support you with the technical side of things. Mm. Um so really just a room and someone someone to lead the day. Yeah, this opportunity, a leadership opportunity. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. And there's one more, Abby. Says Deborah, if societies sign up to do a party, do the attendees get certificates or do they have to be purchased separately? That's a very good question, Abby. That is a very good question. Thank you very much for asking it. it they are included. Excellent. There you are. There's a money saving tip. <laughs> get signed in. And, and of course, for some of you, your universities will be interested in signing up for this so do take the chance to do this now you see i did say to deb and uh, and zara this hour goes so quickly it always goes really quickly and it goes quickly because i've got some fantastic guests i've got a wonderful audience out there so thank you to 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 them for that and to deb and to zara for being with us this this evening and having such a good session earlier um now I just have to do a, a few little reminders. Remember, these uh, resources will be av available on the website and Facebook on Friday. And you need to think about booking uh, for the student celebration. So book now while it's in your mind. Um, free, remember. Uh, and there's a Manchester, the Manchester Festival on the 21st of June. There's still places on there. You can go online or you can go face to face. Sadly, there seems to be a train strike. We're hoping it's going to be called off because that, that will kind of interfere with some of the face-to-face, -face, but it will be online as both. And, of course, the Wales and Southwest festivals on the 13th of September, so do book for that if you, if you can. Next week on Maternity Midwifery Hour, we've got Professor Amy Brown talking passion, empathy and burnout in lactation support there's something to conjure with so in the meantime stay safe and stay well and we'll see you next week and thank you to everybody thank you for joining us for the maternity and midwifery hour this podcast has been made possible by the team at maternity and midwifery forum and our cpd partners matflix you can sign up at matflix.co.uk This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.